A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky morning Calvary Chapel how are y'all for well welcome to those of you who are new here my name is Ricky I'm the pastor here and welcome to those of you who are viewing online um, if you need a Bible please raise your hand and we will get one to you for those of you that have yours now uh, go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew we're going to pick back up in chapter 12 verse 33 so I know we just had this time of prayer before service um as tensions seem to mount worldwide, and I know that there are many of the families here who are going to be affected by <clears throat> whatever happens in these next several weeks. And I want to encourage the men in here, as we're going to have an opportunity to pray after service too, is <clears throat> we have a spirit, we have an obligation given by God to be leaders of our households. And there are a lot of times in this world where <clears throat> we confuse courage with pretending. And there's a lot of times when we forget that just because we may not have fear or we're able to stuff it down that our wives and our children don't. And I would say, <clears throat> biblically, this is our time, whether you're in the military or not, to spiritually prepare our households for the things that are coming. It is nobody else's responsibility. While the church has been given to be a support for one another, it is your responsibility to care for yours and your home. We will be here to pick up the things that you cannot. But I strongly encourage you to wash your households, your wives, and your children in prayer now. This is where we take time to learn what it is to let the Lord be our strong tower because you know what you will never find in Scripture is that you are strong enough yourself. Every man is fragile. Every man is weak. We pass very quickly, but the Lord endures forever. Amen? And this is the time before we have no choice, that we learn to, on bended knee, surrender ourselves to the Lord and let Him be the nourishment and carrier of our souls. And so we're going to pray again at the end, but if there's any of us in here who would be inclined to confuse courageousness with ignorance, let's not do that anymore. And know that you are not alone. Even for those of us that are here who may have to stay behind while we see some of you go to some turbulent areas, to say the least. You're not alone in that fear either. Be honest with you guys here, coming from an area that is not really affected by the military at all, is world issues were a conversation point, but they weren't felt where I moved from. But now considering the fact that there are those I may have, I have to worry about a phone call, losing those that I have come to love very much, worrying about how in the world am I going to have to deliver news to some of the families. As your pastor, you have to know that 
I'm probably just as scared as some of you are over this whole situation, but I know that God is faithful to be our portion no matter where we're at. And so men, whether you have a family here or not, it's time for us to be men of prayer. It's time for us to be bold in the Lord and not bold in our own strength. And it's time for us to care for our wives before somebody else has to care for our families in our absence, amen. So we're gonna pray one more time and then we're gonna get into the word. Had no plan to say that. I hope that resonated with some and I hope that makes sense. Um, But we're gonna pray before we dive into the word. Lord, we come before you this morning. Father, I know this church is on the heels of a a missions trip where, Father, I had to, Lord, watch children exercise greater faith than I have and the fact that they could, Lord, have hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. But Lord, we, we sit at the beginning of another situation where our family, our church family, your sons and daughters are going to have to learn, maybe even for the first time, what it is to be, Lord, completely consumed with the peace of God. And so, Father, with all of that, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, Father, that you would lend us the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, um, we would even hear the sentiment to be bold and courageous, but, Lord, we wouldn't be pretenders either. And that, Lord... While you're mending our spirits and tending to our spirits in that matter, we ask now that you would focus our attention on the word, that, Lord, you would teach us what it is to be, Lord, a tree that bears good fruit, and that, Lord, we would be a faithful reflection of your glory in all things. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So... Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be picking up in verse, we're going to read through verses uh, 22 through um, 37 today, but we're just going to focus on 33 and 37 as we covered the previous verses last week. And so if you are in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, would you say amen? And actually, please forgive me because I always forget to do this. Would you stand with me as we read today's text and honor the Lord's word that way? All right, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. He, how then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by your spirit of God that I cast out by, sorry, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his treasure brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You can sit as we get into the word now. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> where we are in the book of Matthew as we get back into this, because I know I wasn't here last week. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and those of you who are new here, the book of Matthew is specifically written to the Jewish reader to be reminded that Jesus is, in fact, the awaited Messiah. And this far in the chapter, we begin to see tensions mount as those who are opposed to God increase their opposition to Jesus despite his good teachings, I'll say perfect teachings, and despite his perfect works. And so here in chapter 12, as we see these tensions begin to mount, we see Jesus heal a demon-possessed man. And if you were here last week, I think I I have last week's review up here. Let's give it one second. Yeah, so in last week, we saw Jesus perform an exceptionally miraculous healing as the people then believed this particular type of healing to be completely impossible. Specifically because it was believed then, and there are some who practice this now, that in order to exorcise a demon, you have to know its name first. And as the man was mute, you would not be able to identify it. But Jesus being God had no problem with this one. And then we see the Pharisees, they would begin to respond not to the miracle of Jesus, but they would respond irrationally to the fact that people were beginning to see that Jesus may be the Messiah they've been waiting for. And when they heard the people begin to ask, is this the son of David? They would say, this is, this is not him. He can only do this by the power of Satan. And so Jesus would respond to them and letting them know that that response doesn't make any sense because how could a kingdom divided against itself stand? If I was working on behalf of Satan, why in the world would I remove those who are working on his behalf from those they are tormenting? And then he would go on to say is, if I'm working on behalf of Satan, who are your sons who cannot exercise a demon at all working for themselves? As Jesus would, again, put them on their heels and say, If you're so good, then why can you not exercise this kind of miracle at all? Reminding them that their authority meant nothing but Jesus is supreme. And then here today, as we continue on, a lot of times that we go through this, a lot of times we take a tree is known by its fruit and assume it's a separate conversation. But the reason we read through this is Jesus is actually still addressing the problem of unbelief within the Pharisees and those who are listening on. I have a little bit of a hiss behind me, guys. And so, in response, we see Jesus bring up the fact that a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. 
He brings up the authority that he has in bringing up his ability to put to silence the strong man. And then today he brings up the importance of being a tree that bears good fruit. And so with that, right here in verse 33, I'm just gonna read one more time. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. So right here at the beginning, I want you guys to notice this little word, either. Today we're gonna be talking about words and language quite a bit, and this word either shouldn't be overlooked as a lot of times, and this is what Jesus is addressing with the Pharisees, is we like to pick and choose the things we partake in and the things that we exercise, but this word either automatically brings us to a place that a decision must be made. We're either going to be working for the Lord or we're going to be working against the Lord. You do not get to live a life that dances between the two. We see other scripture warn of what that is called being lukewarm. Some might call that backsliding. In either case, no matter what the conversation is, we can see that a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, does not have the ability to bear bad fruit. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect, but you do not get to choose in a, to live a life in a way that would bear bad fruit. So either you're either going to be a tree that bears good fruit or you're going to be a tree that bears bad fruit. And as we look at this verse, just 33, we're gonna, take, we're gonna have three takeaways just from this verse. First is every tree or person has the ability to bear fruit. Second, we're going to look at the quality of the fruit over quantity. And third, we're going to see that we are called to be blessings, not burdens in the fruit that we bear. And so again, <clears throat> keeping in mind that Jesus is still responding to the ridiculous accusation that he has the ability to heal the man because he works on behalf of Satan, he's now letting them know that that can't be the case because you're seeing good fruit here. Now, <clears throat> in this illustration, he brings up a tree and its fruit. Now, the first thing we're gonna look at, every tree or person bears fruit. I didn't actually intend to do this. For those of you that are on the missions trip, I totally spaced on this, but it's interesting. When we were in Kensington, <clears throat> we were going out to go do a children's ministry like outreach day. And the pictures that you guys saw, the team actually did a really good job. There was needles and trash and unmentionables everywhere, but the team got it clean so that we could have an outing with the kids. And at the last second, the group asked us to put together a teaching for the kids. And long story short, I end up praying about what it's going to be right before we get to right to the park. And when we're in the park, <clears throat> the Lord led me to this scripture. And <clears throat> in the park, there are a few trees that actually look very similar. I think one of the pictures was up there. Is to my right, there was a tree that was bearing really large green bean pods. And then to my left, and I know it's not a dead fruit, but for the sake of illustration here, there was a tree to my left that was bearing something that looked very similar, except when it, it would fall off the tree and it would be uh, brown, dry and brittle, and it had some kind of bean inside of it. 
<clears throat> and so here, <clears throat> we would communicate with the kids that day that every tree is going to bear something. When you look at the root of the tree, the tree seems similar. I think when we're talking about us, we have similarities amongst us physically, but the fruit that we bear is drastically different. That even somebody who claims to follow the Lord, <clears throat> you can claim to follow Christ, but your fruit makes it very evident and clear who it is that you, in fact, follow. And so here, every man is a tree, and all the trees have some capacity to bear fruit. And I think that that's important because there might even be some in here, and I think that I've thought this at different phases of my life, where you read through the scripture and you read about bearing good fruit, and you evaluate yourself at a moment and think, there is no way that good fruit could ever come from me. Well, I think the first problem to address is that you need to stop making it about you because you're right, you cannot bear good fruit. Can we all acknowledge that for a minute? If you don't know that about yourself, ask the person to the left. They'll affirm the idea <clears throat> that no good fruit is coming from you. But don't evaluate it in the selfish context that way. Remember, this is about what God is doing through us. And so don't oversimplify the text when you see and you look at yourself and think, well, I can't do that. Well, it's not about you in the first place. It's what God is going to do through you. And so when you see this, every tree has the ability to bear fruit and hearkening back to the idea that Jesus said you are either serving the kingdom of God or you are serving the kingdom of the enemy, the fruit that is exposed in your life is going to be the key indicator of who it is that you serve. You may not be bearing any fruit or you may be bearing poor or dead fruit. In either case, it means that you are not working or serving on behalf of the Lord. Are you guys tracking with me? In either case, you are bearing something. The fruit is just the indicator of who your master is. And we need to remember biblically, scripturally, <clears throat> that there is no man who can claim I serve no God. No, you absolutely serve a God. That God might be your name because we can absolutely worship ourselves and we are absolutely worshiping somebody. But biblically, the only eternal fruit that can come from us is if we are serving on behalf of the Lord. And so the first point is you are absolutely able to bear fruit if you would be submitted to the will of God and he would do wonderful things through you. Amen? Now the second thing, <clears throat> quality over quantity. Jesus doesn't mention the quantity of fruit here, only the quality of what has been produced. I don't think this is just a modern issue, but a lot of times, even within the church, we can spend a lot of times ourselves evaluating what everybody else has and even all the things that I don't have. You guys tracking with me on this one? I think social media is actually an instigator of this problem as it's made it much worse is when we hit a hard time or we hit a time that seems like we're sitting still, it's very easy to look around and see. And let's actually bring this into the world of ministry and walking after the Lord. 
we can look at God working through other people's lives and think, what do they have that I do not have? I can tell you now, that's only going to lead you to a place of sin. Is that fruit was given to them by God to utilize within the life and ministry that God has called them to. And God has you in a different place to bear a different kind of fruit or a different amount of fruit for you in the season that you are in. Just because somebody else is blessed with different amounts or different kinds doesn't mean that they are loved more. It just means that they are set there for that specific thing. I think in the context of ministry, a lot of people might evaluate the pastor of being some kind of supreme spiritual authority within the church. No, my gifts are only on loan to me by the Holy Spirit as long as, long as he chooses to utilize me in this place. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing good about me that you don't possess within you. Amen? I am not Christ. I am not God. Remember, I am your peer. I am just here as the Lord has put me here for now. But there are some of you who will be called into that place when it's time for you to bear that fruit. But anyway, we're talking about quality. If we're not evaluating others' fruit, a lot of times we can evaluate what it is that we lack and begin to make a million excuses for ourselves and why we cannot bear good fruit. A lot of times we evaluate the things that we lack or the lives that we grew up in, the neighborhoods we're from, or all these different things and come up with all these excuses as to why I shouldn't even try to bear good fruit. And all of these excuses lead to hurt feelings, which lead to accusations, which lead to criticisms, which ultimately lead us to a place that puts us opposed to the will of God. Are you tracking with me, guys? Yeah? When we evaluate too much, we can let our feelings and emotions begin to be our guide. But Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so in this evaluation, we can tend to run with our emotions and our feelings and come up with all these excuses as to why we can or to why we're where we're at. But here, Jeremiah is telling us is don't be a victim and don't be a fool to your own feelings and emotions. But brothers and sisters, remember the truth. Can we acknowledge for just a minute, if you have a feeling that you are inadequate, the feeling is real. Are you tracking with me here? If you feel that way, the feeling is absolutely real, but the feeling is, does not supersede the truth in the fact that you may feel like you cannot bear good fruit, but if the word is true and it is, then God is able to bear fruit regardless of how you feel right now. If you would choose to be submitted to the word of God and walk according to his ways, then he will illuminate your path and he will bear good fruit through you. Your emotions should be acknowledged, but they should not be thrived upon. You tracking with me here? We live in a world that is teaching us to live on our emotions, 
and to thrive on our emotions and to encourage others to do the same thing. And I think what we find out is that when we reside in our emotions and we neglect or forget truth, we make absolutely zero traction in anything. Can you imagine if the church was permitted to function within its emotions? Do you think evangelism would ever happen? I'm gonna level with you for like two seconds. I am terrible at initiating a conversation on the street. Somebody the other day, um, I think they said that I would have thought that you were a fan of confrontation because you seem to handle it so well. And I was like, no, I want to throw up every single time. <laughs> every time. I hate it. But I'm comforted when I see Jesus tell the disciples, don't worry about what it is that you will say. I will give you the words to say when you need it. And even when we were going out to Kensington a couple weeks ago, myself, I was nervous, and I'm watching a lot of people who have never done missions go out and do this. You want to see a group of fearful men from Jacksonville, North Carolina? Kensington was the place. But it was amazing to see, regardless of the fear that existed within us, we submitted to the word anyways, and God did amazing things through even the unexperienced brothers and sisters who were out there. It was an absolute privilege to see God's faithfulness in a city that looks like what you just saw. God is able to do great things should we reside in his will. The, the, this truth here should remind us that God expects and inspects for the fruit produced in our lives regardless the circumstance. And if that is true, we should also know that God is able to produce heavenly fruit in time no matter what our current circumstance is. And can I say, <clears throat> in this culture of emotions, one thing that is very evident and something that, so for those of you in here, I enjoy to study psychology myself, but something I despise within the study of it is this inclination to figure out a reason why somebody is allowed to behave the way that they behave. I will say this, I think it's important to at least consider why it is that you think the way that you think, but that absolutely does not give you the privilege to continue misbehaving. Yeah, you grew up in a tough household, but God has given you the mind and he has given you a renewed spirit and you have been set free from the bonds of, the, from the chains of that household of sin and the sin that resides within your mind. You are no longer a slave to sin. Brothers and sisters, it's time to start acting like it. When we sit in counseling sessions, well, pastor, I can't do this because this is the kind of life I grew up in, the kind of neighborhood I'm in, and all this. I'm like, okay, yeah, those are absolutely important things to know about yourself, but more importantly, you should know what God is able to do regardless those circumstances. God doesn't care what neighborhood you're from. God doesn't care about what kind of parents that you had. What he wants you to know is what he can do through you right now. 
And it doesn't mean he's going to ignore that. He wants to mend your broken soul. But your circumstance is not something that is able to hold you back. If God is a way maker, let him be one. Amen? Let's not move in fear, but let's move in faith knowing that God is able. I think on our nights of testimony, for those of you who don't know, on the third Wednesday of every month, we invite somebody to come and share their testimony here at the church, either within the church or outside of the church, so we can see that God is still a miracle worker and he is still healing and that he is still working and still doing the things that we read about here. And every single month, we see somebody who, regardless of their circumstances and regardless of their past, God has brought them to a place that they never would have imagined in their past they would be at today. If you didn't get to hear uh, Cherish's testimony this past uh, couple weeks, it's a blessing to get to hear that a family that had such a broken household is in a place that is, they get to minister to you now. That wasn't a place that that family thought that they would have been in however many years ago, but regardless of those circumstances, you had a family and a couple who submitted to the word of God and has found themselves walking in blessing. They decided to start, stop blaming each other for each other's behavior and start submitting to the word of God regardless of how they're behaving, and God blessed them for that. The quality of the fruit in their lives is very clear, and I would encourage you that God can provide quality of fruit in your life today. You may not see mass quantity. Your tree might have a weird root system. I don't know what the situation is. Not every tree is pretty, but the fruit will be good. Amen? Amen. Finally, blessings or burdens. And with this <clears throat> section, I actually want us to flip over to Luke chapter 6, verse 43. We see Jesus sharing the same illustration, but there's a, a sentence in here that isn't included in Matthew's version. Luke six forty-three. if you're there, would you say amen? Amen. 43 through 45, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So here, I think another thing to remind us that we shouldn't be so selfish when we evaluate a section of scripture like this is there are some fruit that is absolutely produced to be a blessing to others. And our existence can be a blessing or it can be a burden to the world around us. And can we also acknowledge that not every Christian, while God is working with them and sanctifying them, is in a place where they are a blessing to the world around them, Right? Is there are some people who we see that are working in the Lord, but man, they're a little rough around the edges today. They're a little hard to talk with sometimes. They're still learning grace and mercy. And if you don't know who that person is, it's probably you. Just a heads up. But what comes to mind for me when we're talking about this are the individuals that God is 
producing some kind of fruit within, and they desire to bless others with the work of God that's happening within them. However, they refuse to acknowledge or relinquish the thorns and thistles from around that fruit. We are not permitted to be a harsh people. Please hear me. Disciple of Jesus, Christian, you are not permitted to be a harsh individual. Jesus spoke truth and love. It doesn't mean that we forsake truth. But his truth was spoken in a way that the world who would hear it, whether they wanted to acknowledge it or not, was cared for. And so if the truth you're communicating makes somebody feel unnecessarily despised, then I think it should cause us to pause and pray and wonder, am I communicating truth the same way that the Lord would? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we are called to aid or assist in somebody in their sin, but there is a godly way to communicate righteousness. And we miss that mark quite often. God's blessings in our lives shouldn't require somebody to have calloused hands to appreciate. Husbands and wives, especially to one another. Your spouse should not have to have a calloused heart or calloused hands to appreciate the fruit that God is producing in your life. If God has called you, husbands, to love her the way that he loves the church. Then let the thorns and thistles go. If he has called you to be willing to die for her, that fruit had better be easily accessible so that she would know that she is the most, besides the Lord, the most cherished piece of furniture or clay pottery in the house. And brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but I would ask you to consider, does your wife know that she is the most cherished thing in your house? I'm gonna leave that there. Good luck with that one. <laughs> now the point is clear. <laughs> we can produce the fruit of life given to us by God, or we can produce the burden of death given to us by the kingdom of death. The application here is also simple. We see that we're called to bear fruit, but a lot of times there is a singular truth in Scripture and we can apply it many different ways. The application here is also simple. Now, if you're walking away from this and you would think that, okay, well, if I have to bear good fruit, then I must do good things, that's not a terrible walk away. It's not heretical, it's not unbiblical, but God is not talking about works here. Jesus is speaking about the importance of words and language. So again, if you're leaving here thinking, go do good, I'm not gonna stop you, please go do good. But Jesus is reminding us the importance of the words that we use. Look at verses 34 and 35 with me as we're back in Matthew. I'm gonna give you another second to flip there. Okay. So verses 34 and 35 says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Treasure is infectious. Jesus is echoing a heavenly bit of wisdom he gave to David. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4.23 Here, he is reminding the Pharisees, and he should be reminding us as we're reading this, is whatever it is that you desire is what's going to inevitably come out of your mouth when you speak. Whatever it is that you treasure most, when you speak, you're going to eventually let slip whatever it is that you actually want. Here, remember, the Pharisees could be seen holding tightly to the treasure of accolades, the worship of men. And because they desired pride in this way, they wanted the worship of men, they were completely unable to see their perfect Savior standing right before them. The fruit, the wicked fruit that was produced in this, one of them could be said is complete and total spiritual blindness. Brothers and sisters, I would say, and I would caution us or ask us to consider, what is it that we desire so much that we might be led to a place of spiritual blindness? Is it the desire of somebody that we know that we would be unwilling or unable to see or admit that the relationship that we're in is not glorifying to God? For those of us that are unmarried in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A little bit of testimony of myself here. I met my wife when I was in middle school, and the reason this all happened is because my dad, he's back there, so blame him. He linked us up. So anyway, blame shifted. The, (laughs) we were in youth group, and I had just graduated, and I had a pretty good reputation in the church. I was asked to teach a few things here and there. And my wife was in youth group. She was 17, I was 18. And what the Lord put together could have been good, but because we desired each other so much in an unhealthy way, we became spiritually blind to the hazards that we were constantly walking in. And because of that, inevitably, my first blessing who is standing back there came to fruition but despite all of the cautions despite the fact that I was supposed to honor her in time and in waiting I was completely unable to see that I wasn't in fact doing that until it was too late I'm sure there are many testimonies like mine in this room completely unable to see that I wasn't walking according to the ways of the Lord anymore but I was walking according to my own desires And the Lord brought me to a low place very quickly. There was no reason I didn't have to stay at home, but because I thought I was right over what my parents were saying, I chose to be homeless in a car. Sin does wonderful things to a man. Not really. But I will say that I'm glad the Lord allowed me to go to that place so I could see his faithfulness despite my unfaithfulness. And if you're in that place, know that if you would just turn your eyes to Jesus and let him be your lead, it will be okay. It'll be okay. It may not go exactly the way that you want it to go, but I promise you it will be 
okay. Treasure is infectious. Brothers and sisters, what is it that you treasure and desire most? And this is a thing of practice. I don't think we should be afraid of the word religious, honestly. My personal opinion is that religion can be a bad thing, but loving the Lord in a religious way is never a bad thing. To seek his face before anything else every day will never, ever hurt you. But if we don't love the Lord first and foremost, we absolutely will let something else step into our gaze. And as we love to desire other things, we will desire those things. So here, out of the abundance of their hearts, these Pharisees were speaking. He's like, you can't say that you're doing good when you would be so willing. Remember this, this conversation is still tethered to the accusation that Jesus is healing on behalf of Satan. He's saying, you cannot profess to be doing the good work of God when you would wholly reject the work of the Holy Spirit that is being done through Christ. Now, getting back to the point of last week, I wanted to make sure we clearly defined this. We have been talking about the unforgivable sin or the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is hitting them hard about this unforgivable issue. And what is that unforgivable issue? Let me flip back to my notes here to make sure I say it the right way because I don't want to miss it. Denying the Holy Spirit is denying the Lordship of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in and through him. These Pharisees were completely unwilling to acknowledge the sovereignty of Christ and the fact that he was the Messiah and the fact that the Holy Spirit was the one working through him. Brothers and sisters, the unforgivable sin is rejecting Christ and rejecting his work. And I would say, and I would caution you, something that I have to check myself in often is that I can tend to be a skeptic myself. But in our fear and skepticism, we need to tread carefully when we would say that the Lord isn't working when he is. We need to make sure that we are honoring and acknowledging the Lord in all the things that he does. And just because it's being done differently doesn't mean that it's being done unbiblically. Are you following me? Nobody's really following me on this one? A couple? Okay. I'm gonna bring this point up. For those of you who are not understanding, And it's actually timely. So a few weeks ago, the Billy Graham organization came to Jacksonville, North Carolina. They came to Jacksonville, North Carolina because they want to host one of Billy Graham's traditional crusades here in this city. Now, for any of you who's ever seen one of those, that's a pretty massive evangelistic effort that they want to hold here. A message went out to the pastors in town. Ten showed up the first time. This is five, not ten. Ten showed up the first time. Five showed up the second time. Three of the five, four of the five were the same of the 10 that were there last time. Now, the problem is, is it is known in this town that pastors don't typically try to get together. That has been the history here. And that we have created a very divisive culture here amongst these churches. I'm just going to say that outright. 
And so, not because Calvary Chapel is better, we just tend to typically sit in the middle of all of these different denominations as they ask us to try to get a bunch of pastors in a room. So we've been doing that for the past couple weeks. And it has been really cool to get to know the other pastors in town and find out that there's actually a, a lot of new pastors in town. But the fact that we have to have a conversation about putting our differences aside for the sake of the gospel is absolutely astounding. The fact that we would be so quick to judge one another's churches and congregations, and remember this, I'm talk, we are talking about churches who are preaching the gospel that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? But for us to be unwilling to preach the gospel to thousands of people who are unsaved because we have small doctrinal differences, I will say plainly, is unbiblical. It is God-awful. Paul specifically tells us to not be a divisive people. And that is running rampant in our town. And I ask you to pray for that. And I ask you to pray for your pastors and pray for your leaders that we might be able to put that aside so that we would be able to see God do an amazing work. Not through that organization specifically, but just so that we would see souls saved in town because that is what we're called to do, amen? So, treasure is infectious. And now verses 36 through 37. It says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. If you have a pen or a highlighter, highlight it in your Bible. And as always, if you see the person next to you not doing it, do it for them. They will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Brothers and sisters, there are no such thing as careless words, apparently. As we can say, well, I, I didn't really mean it. It was just something I just said. God's going to hold us accountable for every word that we say. You might call it careless, but you're still going to be held accountable for the things that you say. Here, he's reminding them, because they were being divisive against the work of the Holy Spirit, well, you know what? Jesus is only able to do that because he works on behalf of Satan. He's like, <laughs> before you think you get to before you think you get to get away with that statement, remember God's going to hold you accountable for that statement, for thinking that thing, and for being so quick to air it out. Brothers and sisters, we have to be considerate about the things that we say to the Lord, to ourselves, and to one another. Now, a, a side note to this, because this is something I have seen of my generation, is that we're watching right now a generation walking away from the Lord, and we're, walking, we're watching a generation come up who don't know the Lord at all. And when I say don't know the Lord at all, this is the first time in a very long time our country has seen a generation who don't know the Old Testament stories that I can actually go out and evangelize even in the South and meet somebody who doesn't know who King David is and the story of David and Goliath. Some of you who are older in here are like, how in the world is that even possible? Because people don't talk about scripture anymore and neither do pastors. But here, from the previous generation, there, was a church that was, there were churches that were practicing religiousness rather than being submitted to the Lord in our own ways or in the way of the word. 
that the knee-jerk reaction our generation has had is, well, fine, if this is how the church is going to be, I see that it's unbiblical. I'm just not going to go anymore, and I just get to speak the way that I want to speak. I'm sure there are some of you who have seen pastors begin to start cursing behind the pulpits. I'm sure that you have seen a younger generation say that their words don't matter, and they have the freedom spiritually to curse because they have these conversations based on semantics as to what a curse is and what a curse isn't. Is anybody familiar with any of these conversations? Just a few. Okay. Proverbs 4.24, put away from you crooked speech and put away devious talk from you. To that point, I would say, while we can have a conversation based on semantics as to what a curse word is and isn't, I would say that the Lord would probably encourage us to err on the side of clean lips. Just because it means something to you doesn't mean that it means that same thing to another person. Just because it means something in your culture doesn't mean it might mean that in another. The conversation is irrelevant at the end of the day because we're told to pursue cleanliness and purity and holiness, amen? So err on the side of clean language. Now again, there's some nuance to that. We're not going to parse that up here because clearly the Lord is calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Some would say, hey, name calling's not kind. Jesus is doing it right here. However, he's speaking true and clear. But let's err on the side of speaking peaceably and in a way that, is, that can't be balked at by the Lord. Amen? But even more importantly, he's reminding us that there is saving that comes through our mouths. Romans 10, 10 through 11 says this, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And remembering again that we're talking about the rejection of the Holy Spirit and this unforgivable sin, we see the Lord reminding them that you have to confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. It is something that we literally do have to utter. There are lots of things that we can't attribute to salvation like baptism or communion. And I would say that if you're somebody who believes that those two are absolutely necessary for salvation, we always point to the man on the cross who had neither. But what the man on the cross absolutely did do is utter with his mouth that Christ is Lord. Brothers and sisters, we must be careful with our speech and the things that we think, say, and do because we are confessing one thing or the other. Are we confessing that Jesus died for our sins and he did it perfectly, or are we denying that perfect work on the cross? That's a big question. That's what Jesus is hitting them with here. You're watching God do a miraculous bit of work here, and you are totally unwilling to admit that God is moving right now. We need to be careful not to make that same mistake. These Pharisees weren't being cautions, cautious with their words. And they not only found themselves on the enemy side of the line that Jesus drew in the sand, but were now blatantly leading those that the Lord desires away from the good shepherd. Do not think that the Lord takes it lightly when we reject the Holy Spirit. 
Because even though we think it only applies to us, there is always somebody listening and looking to our example who we are either leading to the Lord or leading away from the Lord. Our words are weighty. We need to be cautious with them. And we need to make sure if we are believers in Jesus that the words we say are honoring and glorifying the Lord at all times. And if you're on the other side and the Lord is not, you haven't submitted your life to Christ and you're sitting on that fence and you're wondering maybe why you're here or you've been wondering for a long time, you are running out of time. You might be rejecting the Holy Spirit right now, but ultimately what matters is what did you acknowledge and say before you died? You have time to be submitted to God in his saving grace. You have time to be able to admit and acknowledge that God is in fact a saving and loving God. You might not have believed it yesterday, but what matters is that you believed it before you passed away. The problem is, is you don't know when that's going to happen. And according to our prayer request this morning, there are some of us who are beginning to fear that that time might be drawing close And it's not time to play like we talked about a few days ago or a few weeks ago, playing spiritual Russian roulette with our time. We're not guaranteed a minute. Are we rejecting or accepting of the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit? If we're wondering what that is, Ask the Lord to reveal to you the kind of fruit that you are producing. Is it fruit that honors and blesses God and blesses those that love the Lord or is it fruit that is counter to his kingdom? Is it fruit that is continuing to poison those who would partake from your tree? there's some in here that would think that it's really not that big a deal, but I'd say the risk to reward factor doesn't really make sense. That you would be willing to say, I have another day or I can figure it out or do whatever is a, all right, well, you might have another day, but what if you don't? Is eternity worth the gamble? And can we acknowledge for a minute for either ourselves or for somebody else that we love, it is eternity that is on the line. Who's the oldest person in here? It's Jerry, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's got some time, but for everybody else, Jerry, how old are you? Yeah, you're 50. I'm not going to actually call out the oldest guy in the room. I know better than that. I know we're joking, but 50 years is not a long time. In the scope of eternity, 50 years is a second. And for all of us that are here younger than that, you might think that we've lived a very long time. We have lived for no time. Consider what eternity really is for every day that we don't don't take advantage of what it is that Jesus has offered us freely. So our closing thought, what fruit is God revealing in our speech today. If somebody asked you, 
what you believe, what would you say? If you saw something miraculous happen in front of you, what's gonna be your inclination? Are you gonna be able to acknowledge that God is in fact working and that God is capable of saving? Or are you gonna come up with some weird thing to explain away God's miracle? Do you believe who Jesus is or are you going to deny who Jesus is? Those are the questions. Jesus is the true vine. He is the only way to heaven. Amen? That was a quiet amen. That's a good thing. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. And for those of us that don't know that, know and believe and put your faith and trust in Jesus and let him make well the fruit that is being bared in your life. It doesn't have to be chaos. It doesn't have to be destitute. It doesn't have to be broken. Jesus can make it well, no matter where you're at right now, should you surrender your desires to him. I can keep saying that all day, but we just gotta pray, amen? So why don't we stand and pray together? And like we spoke about at the beginning, if there is any of you who need prayer, <clears throat> or have any kind of anxiety that we need to bring to the Lord, let's bring it to the Lord, amen? Men, again, taking advantage of the time that the Lord has blessed us with to be the leaders of our home, to wash our wives and children in prayer. If you're not gonna come up here and pray, I encourage you to pray over your families. And actually, yeah, let's do that. During this last song of worship, if you don't want to come up for prayer, Look to your loved one or to your friend and I'd encourage you to pray over them this afternoon, amen? If you see somebody who is alone, you're not gonna get cooties, go pray over them. It'll be okay. So Lord, we come before you this afternoon thankful, Lord, for your word that reminds us, God, that you can absolutely bear good fruit through any tree. That, Lord, the trees that bear bad fruit are the trees that have simply made the decision to reject your good and perfect work. But, Father, even that can be remedied while there's still breath in our lungs. And so, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged, Lord, even those who may not be believing, that, Lord, should they come to you, Lord, they would be restored and made well. And that, Lord, for those of us who have known you for some time, but, Father, this spirit of fear has overcome us from walking in obedience, I pray that you would remind us and encourage us that, Lord, it doesn't have to be that way. And that, God, you are perfectly able to continue to produce good fruit in our lives like you did before. And that, God, while we still stand here breathing and we have this heart beating within our chest that means that you are still working and you are doing good things. And God, I pray that you would produce the fruit that shows that we are taking part in walking in that faith. So Lord, we surrender this time to you. We ask this in your son's precious and holy name and all the saints agreed and said, amen.